I am Jackie Cancier, your state chair for the Tennessee chapter of National Council on Severe Autism's National Grassroots Network, and this is your weekly podcast, Let's Talk. Tennessee. Happy holidays, everyone. Last week, we didn't have a podcast, but we did have a webinar and it was outstanding from our friend Heather Bench. She's over in West Tennessee and she gave us a webinar on air travel with someone with severe autism and challenging behaviors traveling for the first time as an adult. It's a wealth of information. I really found it very helpful. How did she prepare for it? How did she manage having an episode flying in the air? As well as she brought up some really important areas of focus for advocacy, both state and federal. On the federal side, we definitely have some issues regarding disability accommodations with our public transportation system. And Heather has found a renewed passion to really advocate about that. So we look forward to working with her on those issues. On the state side, we brought up important discussions regarding the availability of medical equipment for behavior symptoms, not just medical symptoms. And this falls into something called parity. And if you are wondering what that might be, just head over to our blog, look for the little hamster with a Santa hat, and you'll find a blog post I did regarding parity and why the Tennessee chapter on NCSA is advocating about parity between medical and behavioral symptoms still. Speaking of the website, if you head over there, we have added some new things as we're getting started here with our new budding chapter. We've added a couple advocacy tools there for you. We will continue to update those, hopefully to eventually develop an entire advocacy toolkit for you. We do still have the campaign, which has almost 150 letters to legislators stating that we really need some hard looks into 10CARE's policies and this whole issue of being able to access the staffing and medical equipment that people need for severe and challenging behavior symptoms. We also have a new fill-in-the-blank easy template available for you that will allow you to write your own letters to legislators on whatever topic you'd like, and please feel free to go ahead and look at those. If you head over to the webinars and podcast part of our website, you'll be able to see that we have upcoming events, which will show you what kind of webinars we have coming up as well as be able to look back at past webinars and podcasts. Of course, those are always available also on our YouTube page. Coming up in January, we have two webinars for you. The first one is going to be about advocacy. Still going to be a primer, but it is going to be a little more comprehensive than what you have seen in some of my shorter presentations recently. This is going to be all about you. Your advocacy may not look like my advocacy. Your areas of focus may not be mine. There is a space for all of us to have our voices heard. And this is really going to be about customizing an advocacy fit that works for you, your unique personality, your unique story, and how to have your voice heard in a way that you feel comfortable doing it. If this is something that you've been interested in getting involved in and you're just kind of sitting on the fence, please head over to that link and register for that webinar. I promise you're going to come away from it with something that really resonates for you in particular. We will have a Q&A session at the end and you'll be able to ask me whatever questions that you have regarding advocacy. At the end of January, we have Dr. Joshua Ryan Smith out of the Vanderbilt Mend Clinic, who is going to be discussing catatonia in pediatric and neurodiverse populations. This is going to be a webinar you definitely don't want to miss. It has been highly requested. We are very excited to have him come on and provide us this webinar. 
far as news, the big thing this week is that the National Institute of Health has released a request for public comment on co-occurring conditions in autism. This is how they determine how much funding is needed for certain areas. And so this is a way that you'll be able to have your voice heard into the public sphere. This will become public record. Things about making public comment. Always be respectful. Again, this is going to be part of public record. Don't use identifying information when you are listing a public comment because this, again, is going to be part of public record. They do redact private information and as much as possible, but there's always the chance that something slips through. So just do your due diligence to try to make sure that you're not providing any identifying information in your public comment. If you have questions about how to submit a public comment, please head over to the group and just ask them and we're happy to help walk you through you have any questions on any of the particular questions that they're asking. There are seven specific questions that they ask regarding autism and co-occurring conditions. They're also concerned about what impact COVID-19 has had on this subpopulation as well. So answer each of the seven questions. They are limiting responses to 1,500 words in total. What I normally like to do when I'm writing a public comment is I will take those questions over into a Word document and I will type out my questions over there. That way I can check for any spelling or grammatical errors and I can also do a word count to make sure that I'm falling within the parameters of the public comment. The public comment session is going to be open from January 3rd all the way up until Valentine's Day. So there's plenty of time to ask your questions about this, to think about what you might want to have written in as public record on these particular topics. Now for a little bit of fun, I get questions a lot of times on policy specific to this subpopulation and severe and challenging behaviors and those sorts of things. So I've been thinking about doing some sort of a policy corner, a little few minutes quip on policy discussions in the state and my thoughts on those. Then this past week, Jaden added a new phrase into her language and it is, what the? Oftentimes our children script and sometimes they've come up with these phrases that are less desirable and most of the time we have no idea where they even heard a certain phrase. However, being the daughter of a disability policy advocate in Tennessee, I don't think anybody is going to question where she learned this particular phrase of what the. So in honor of Jaden, I decided to call this little policy corner part the what the corner. So let's talk a little bit about a policy that just doesn't seem to make any sense. This week, I'm going to go over why we are using third-party agencies for things like enabling technology and an example of why this just doesn't make any sense. We requested an induction stove early in the summer. It took six months and a lot of pressure and a lot of meetings with a lot of advocacy support in order to get that item before the end of the fiscal year. The danger in that is if you don't get it before the end of the fiscal year, that money is lost, does not roll over to the member the following year. It just dissipates into the TenCare General Fund and nowhere to be used by the person with disabilities. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to access this. It took six months, even with that kind of pressure, in order to get it in before the end of the fiscal year. Something's wrong here. We have an efficiency problem being able to utilize these programs. And what is it? Part of it is third-party agencies. We had to go through a medical supply company in order to get an induction stove. Where did they order it from? For those that are watching on YouTube, they see a Lowe's invoice. Lowe's, yes. They just ordered it from Lowe's. I could have done that early this summer. Are you kidding me? I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be some level of support with this. We could use enabling technology consultants via Teams meetings remotely and have this done much sooner. 
parents are incentivized to find the lowest cost items so that they could get more for their children out of that budget. A $5,000 a year ECF budget actually doesn't provide $5,000 a year of equipment for the person with disabilities. In fact, most of that money seems to be going to third-party agencies. This medical supply company charged ECF a grand total of $3,553.20. Now let's break that down. They stated that the stove itself was going to cost $2,853.20. That installation was going to cost $400. That training was going to cost $300. Yet there was no installation. Because they didn't order a power cord, so the delivery company brought the stove, took the box off, left the tape on, and left a stove without a cord in the middle of my floor. Okay, that makes sense to anyone. We had to install the stove, and we had to go and get a power cord in order to do so. There was no training. This is an amazing piece of equipment that is really going to help with safety features for Jaden, who really wants to cook. But it is very tech heavy. We had to, last night, we had to read the manuals. We had to watch YouTube videos just to learn how to cook and use the stove. There was no training provided. Yet $700 of what they charged was towards installation and training. Anyone else sensing a pattern here? Yes. The stove itself that they charged $2,853.20 for? The receipt from Lowe's states, including delivery and shipping and taxes, came to $1,535.40. Boy, what a racket. So the medical supply company was out of pocket $1,535.40, but yet charged ECF $3,553.20. recently heard from another family who was being charged for home modifications $900 per window for Lexan which should cost no more than two, $300, including installation. I install it myself here for about 50 bucks a window. Does it ever end? $900 per window for Lexan. Whether it's enabling technology or home modifications or whatever it might be, we have a lot of waste being used in our ECF funding that is not going to individuals with disabilities. And this is a particular area that the legislature really should be looking at. The money that is allocated for people with disabilities, how much of it is actually going to people with disabilities and not to profit for agencies that are supposedly serving people with disabilities. And then even when we're spending this exorbitant overhead that goes to these agencies, it's not an efficient program. It's actually delaying people being able to get the access to the equipment that they need. <laughs> this is bananas. This is not the way to do business not in the private sector, and certainly not in government. We need to make sure that the money that the taxpayers are spending for people with disabilities goes to people with disabilities. What a great concept. Let's revamp this program because this is just utter. Thank you, Jaden, for the inspiration. If you have your own stories that might fit into a what the corner, please feel free to send them to us at info at tnncsa.org. That's all we have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed your holidays this year. Happy New Year's, everybody. And we will see you again next week. Head over and don't forget to register for the upcoming webinars. Thank you. 